This is the Sermon Podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 11.15 a.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the 10th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to Jesus and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What is it that you want me to do for you? And they said, Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They replied, we are able. Then Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant. But it is for those for whom it has been prepared. When the ten heard this, they began to be angry with James and John. So Jesus called them and said to them, You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as the rulers, lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Christ. Please be seated. Grace, peace, and joy to each of you this day through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. I was uh, driving, I live on the east side of uh, Columbus in the Bexley area, close to the seminary, and I was driving, trying to avoid the Columbus Marathon. And um, as I was getting into my car this morning and driving along 315, I was thinking to myself, I'm so glad I'm going to Lord of Life and not running the marathon today, (laughs) which I have done. Um, and when uh, the first time I did it, I was at the start, start, and I turned to my friend and I said, "This is the stupidest, stupidest thing we've ever done." So, I'm I'm, I'm glad to be here. Uh, I had a couple of people come up to me today and say, "Who are you?" And um, which is a fair question. Um, so, um, my name is Emlyn Ott. I am on the faculty at Trinity Seminary. We're grateful the ongoing partnership that we have here at Lord of Life with the seminary. I have been ordained for 29 years and served a parish in Stillwater, Oklahoma, campus pastor at Oklahoma State for 19 of those. And I like to say I've been uh, ordained 29 years, but I was ordained when I was 12. So keep that, just keep that in mind. Yes, right. So in uh, today's gospel text, Jesus is giving, giving his followers really a new kind of identity. Um, an identity, trying to uh, form what it would mean and give them instruction and guidance about what real discipleship is about. 
<clears throat> you know that despite everything that God had, uh, God had invested in Jesus and Jesus was investing in his disciples about the realm of God, um, despite that shocking passion prediction that Jesus declared, his closest, closest companions didn't get it. Now, these many centuries later, we uh, listen to this story and we shake our heads and we think that these disciples are pretty clueless, don't we? We might even refer to them, I like to call them in class at Trinity, as lunkheads. And Len Sweet has uh, coined the phrase uh, referring to the disciples as the disciples. But I have to put myself in the disciples' position at this point and think that it wouldn't have been too hard to see how they could get the wrong idea about what their new identity as followers of Jesus might be, just based on their experience. You think about it. Before that trip to Jerusalem, before the crowd turned and the cock crowed, before conviction and cross, being a disciple on the road with Jesus was pretty cool. It was sweet. Um, Jesus was just an itinerant preacher. He was, he was a prophet. He was a healer and a teacher. And, you know, he had traveling companions with him, and there was special status with that. They were his posse. They were his entourage. And they were part of an inner circle of a very powerful ministry that was getting lots of enthusiastic followers all the way from Galilee to, to Jerusalem. So no wonder, really, that the 12, those specially chosen companions, began to think of themselves as specially chosen, too, for greatness. You know, there were cool things happening all around them. There were great speeches. There were great, there's tremendous healings. There were big crowds. There were lots of fans. So if Jesus was so great and powerful, why could his chosen followers not be imbued with that kind of greatness? Surely at least some of the disciples must be destined to sit at Jesus' right hand and his left hand when he came into his glory and, and revealed his messianic identity. So James and John thought that the path of discipleship, their faithful following of Jesus, which they were good followers in a sense, would naturally lead them to the head table, that celebrated special place, to a place of honor, rightful recognition in the world. So confident were they about this future that they tried to force Jesus to promise them those seats. And Jesus just rejects that out of hand to James and John. He rejects that seating chart. Headship is not the true identity of discipleship. The way of the world, the world of head honchos at head tables, is not what discipleship is about. What Jesus says his disciples are great by becoming servants. The first in a lineup of Jesus' disciples is the one at the bottom of the heap, the slave of all. The world may judge greatness by who's on top, who's on first, but Jesus declares here that whoever follows him is going to be a slave of all. And in some of the most powerful words of Scripture, he says, the way of the world, it is not so among you. It is not so among you. And put it differently in another translation um, elsewhere with his disciples, Jesus said it this way, what do you more than others? 
what do you more than others? So you could say others may, but we may not because we're disciples of Jesus. Or others may not, but we may because we're disciples of Jesus. It's not that discipleship identity, that relationship to Jesus is not defined by status. It's not defined by success, wealth, power. It's found in Christ and following Jesus, not just on this miraculous uh, tour that he was making during this time before Jerusalem, but in following all the way to the cross. In fact, you might even say that discipleship is less about who you are and more about whose you are and whom you serve. Jesus is grounding. And Jesus, our identity, is safe and secure from all alarm. So Jesus' disciples live according to a whole different set of, you could say, rules than the world moves in the direction of. And also, the truth is that Jesus' disciples um, operate out of a different attitude towards relationships as well than the rest of the world. When you think about this, um, there's a long-standing tradition um, that when we die and we're getting ready to enter into heaven, there's a conversation that we have. And the funnier versions of it say that we have a conversation or sort of quiz by St. Peter at the pearly gates, right? And in the more serious versions, it's Jesus who actually asks, he pitches um, some kinds of questions or maybe even prompts. So I have a few ideas about what those um, conversations might be like at the pearly gates that I'd like to share with you this morning. Not that I have insight in any way, but I just wonder about this based on our text for today. Three potential ideas. You may have a few. Please feel free to let me know those. But point number one. Show me your hands. What are your hands like? You know what, I truly love to look at people's hands when I'm offering communion, when I'm presiding, um, because people come forward with their hands outstretched like this to receive the body and blood of Jesus. And the most rugged and the most stained and the calloused and gnarly and marked are truly the most interesting. And I wonder about that in discipleship. Are your hands dirty? Or do you keep your hands clean? The incarnation means that God came down. And the question is always how far down? All the way down, even to the point where Jesus washed his disciples' feet, which was considered the most abhorrent, filthiest part of the body back in the first century. Holiness is not about keeping your hands clean, but getting your hands dirty and wet and serving those whom Jesus loves. Maybe dirty hands point to an open heart. Maybe. Point number two at the pearly gates. Show me your scars. Do you have battle scars? I know I do. Well, tell me your scar stories. In the words of the marvelous composer Leonard Cohen, children show scars like metals. Lovers use them as a secret to reveal. A scar is what happens when the word is made flesh. Point number three at the pearly gates. Show me your Facebook interactions. This, all, this gets a laugh. Got a laugh at the early service, too. 
Show me your Facebook friends. Are all your friends just like you? Or do you have friends that don't look like you, don't think like you, don't worship like you, don't sit down uh, as you sit down at a table? Or is your Facebook page just one long look in the mirror? Jesus welcomed the weak, the unimportant, the vulnerable, the angry, the rejected, the unclean, the sinners, the outsiders, the contemptible, and the condemned. And the 12 disciples mistakenly thought that they somehow were righteous. They had to learn to give the right of way to those despised and deemed disposable by the culture in which they lived. Seed the right of way. Jesus was calling everyone to discipleship here, to a new relationship with him and God, offering grace and glory to all who called on his name in faith. And Jesus was giving a foretaste of the reality, the truth, that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. It's level. You know that the uh, disciples didn't move from being disciples to something else, an aha movement. A moment didn't come until after Jesus' death and resurrection, not until the Holy Spirit opened up their hearts and filled the holes in their souls did Jesus' first followers finally figure out something deeper about discipleship. And that is that discipleship is not an exclusive club. It's a daily offering of service and witness to the power of Jesus' name, not the power of the world, no matter what the cost. And discipleship is never about power or control over others. It's, a, it's not about slapdowns or diminishments. It's only about praising the restorative, redemptive power of Christ. It's carrying the cross of Christ right inside our hearts. And the cross isn't a burden, as um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said in the classic book, The Cost of Discipleship, and I am changing it for the purposes of of inclusive language, but when Christ calls a person, Christ bids them come and die. When Christ calls a person, Christ bids them come and die. Come and die. Die to that old way of thinking, that righteous, I got to be in control. Come and die to those values that are lifted up by the culture that surrounds us sometimes. Come and die so that we might go and live, live fully, live with freedom, live uh, openly. Think about power struggles that I watch uh, on TV and work and in churches. I do a lot of consulting with churches where power struggles winds up being the heart of, a, of a conflict. Riots, <clears throat> rebellions, violence, us versus them, black versus white, privileged Versus prevented. We're chosen, not you. We know better. You don't. Might is right. I'm in charge, and I'm telling you what's right. I think that we've been bombarded with a lot of those kinds of messages, say, in the last weeks, but certainly it seems to me more prevalent in the last couple of years. And people who have pledged their lives to service have lost their lives in that service. And the struggle over who has the upper hand, we see this a lot in the Middle East, is fueled by hate and hubris. It's a daily struggle not to get sucked into who is the most chosen, who is the on-top worldview. 
But I think that the more that more that the world boils over, the brighter God's grace shines through. Jesus didn't offer a special place for followers, for disciples, for those that had any relationship with him. Jesus didn't lay down special rules for belonging. Jesus didn't choose um, particular disciples because they were more whatever. In fact, they were a lot of less than. They weren't the best and the brightest, but they were willing to follow. Sitting down, Jesus called all those 12 disciples together to take um, uh, some instructions on what directives are most important and to give them guidance about what to listen to and what not to. And he said, if anyone wants to be first, they must be the very last and the servant of all. How do we, you know, we've got so many competing voices that we hear, don't we? How do we know what advice to take in this world? What directives are important and what we should just let go? So I think that the clue is in our text for today. We're getting that information. We're getting the ideas about how to sort the information. And that is to listen to Jesus. The opposite of what you think in this world is the way of the cross. Luther once said that the great true treasure of the church is the holy gospel of the glory and grace of God. And this treasure is, understandably, the most hated thing because it makes the first to be last and the last to be first. That is what I call gospel reversals. That's the heart of what Jesus is about. And and Christ said, uh, says Paul in Philippians, though he was, um, Jesus Christ was in Philippians, according to Paul, though he was in the form of God, became man and took himself the form of a servant. So we we know the stories about Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. There was Jesus with his cross going to Golgotha. There was Jesus saying to that beloved disciple, John, after, after his resurrection, feed my sheep. So Jesus inverted the hierarchies that the world holds dear. The strongest are not the strongest. The weakest are not the weakest. The most righteous are not the most righteous. The most knowledgeable don't really know it all. The outsider is welcomed inside and becomes the ultimate insider. And that is very, very good news. Amen.